This is Shakespeare Closely Read. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is not a program for debate over who really wrote Shakespeare's work, whether he was a Catholic or disputed sexuality. Rather, this is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, 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 to quote Hamlet. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe that through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions or would like some help with studies or other things. So with that, let us begin. Last week, Shakespeare continued with Hamlet. We got through scene three where Hamlet meets his friends who tell him about his father's ghost that has been seen. And they make a date to go that night to the platform to see if the ghost will walk again. Without further ado, scene four. Enter Hamlet, Horatio, and Marcellus. The the air bites shrewdly. It is very cold. It is a nipping and an eager air. I like that expression. It personifies uh, the wind, the cold, and uh, almost turns it into like a wild animal, a nipping and an eager air. What hour now? I think it lacks of twelve. No, it is struck. Indeed, I heard it not. It then draws near the season wherein the spirit holds his want to walk. And the friends are obviously nervous. Uh, They're asking what time it is. And there's a flourish of trumpets and two pieces go off. That's two cannon. Uh, What does this mean, my lord? The king doth wake tonight and takes his rouse, keeps wassail in the swaggering up spring reels. And as he drains his drought of Rhenish down, the kettle drum and trumpet thus bray out the triumph of his pledge. So uh, this is what Claudius said earlier, that um, uh, every time he drank that night, the, the cannon would, be, uh, would go off. Um, maybe he should be saving for the war, but whatever. It is a custom. I marry tis, but to my mind, though I am native here, and to the manner born, it is a custom more honored in the breach than the observance. Okay, and Hamlet's getting ready to move into another soliloquy here. Um, and let's see, the manner born, that's a, that's a famous phrase, and sometimes that's been corrupted into a manner, M-A-N-O-R, as in a uh, wealthy house. But the text here says manner, M-A-N-N-E-R. So Hamlet there, there could be a play on manner and manner. Uh, but Hamlet's saying, this is the, the way I was raised. I am to the manner uh, that he was raised in these manners. And then there's the interesting and well-known phrase, custom more honored in the breach than the observance. Now, this saying today has been corrupted to mean a custom that it's better not to observe. It's more honorable, um, or excuse me, that's in fact what Shakespeare meant here, that it's more honorable not to do this custom than it is. But this today has been corrupted to where it's a custom that's fallen out of favor. And when you hear someone say it's more honored in the breach than the observance, they mean that people don't do it anymore. That's in fact is exactly opposite of what Shakespeare had Hamlet saying here, and what is the true meaning? The true meaning is it's more honorable not to get drunk, 
and to uh, to let the cannons shoot off every time that you take a drink. Um, so back to the soliloquy. This heavy-headed revel east and west, a heavy-headed means that uh, when people have too much to drink, they'll pass out, their heads will nod, and so forth. Uh, this heavy-headed revel east and west make us traduced and taxed of other nations. They clip us drunkards and with swinish phrase soil our addition. And indeed, it takes from our achievements, though performed at height, the pith and marrow of our attributes. So he's saying there that the the Danish people are known uh, as drunkards. Um, and because they do such things as have this wassail season, uh, I suppose that the season of the nativity, and that they, uh, they have all these drinking bouts and so forth, that other nations say that they're, they're drunkards. So oft it chances in particular men that for some vicious mole of nature in them, as in their birth, when they are not guilty, since nature cannot choose his origin, by the o'ergrowth of some complexion off breaking down the pales and forts of reason, or by some habit that too much overleavens the form of plausive manners, that these men, carrying, I say, the stamp of one defect, being nature's livery or fortune's star, his virtues else, be they as pure as grace, as infinite as man may undergo, shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault. The dram of eel doth all the noble substance oft out to his own scandal. And this speech is really the origin of what's sometimes called the tragic flaw theory of interpreting Shakespeare, that in his great tragedies, the tragic hero has one flaw, um, and the play is about how that one flaw um, dominates the tragic character and, and leads to his downfall. For instance, in, uh, in Hamlet, the traditional interpretation is that his tragic flaw is his indecisiveness. Hamlet is seen as constantly vacillating. Um, I think that that's not entirely correct. Um, there's maybe a, a variation of this, but I would say that if you had to pick one flaw, it would be Hamlet's lack of action. And I suppose that could be related to a, a characterization of, of indecisiveness, but there's much more uh, that goes on as we'll see in the play. Another example, Julius Caesar. Um, the tragic flaw in him is seen as his ambition. Um, and you can go on with other, other Shakespeare plays. Um, Richard III is, is, is vicious, and um, I suppose that's a form of ambition as well. And in, in, in him, uh, Richard II is seen as sort of flighty um, and not really taking his responsibilities seriously. Enter the ghost. Look, my lord, it comes. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. Be thou a spirit of health or goblin damned. Bring with thee airs from heaven or blasts from hell. Be thy intents wicked or charitable. Thou comest in such a questionable shape. That is, he doesn't know uh, what it means. That I will speak to thee. I'll call thee Hamlet. King, father, royal, dame, oh, answer me. 
Let me not burst in ignorance, but tell while thou canonize bones. Canonize bones. Uh, he's he's um, almost elevating his, uh, his father to sainthood there as a canonized one that's usually seen as sainthood. Hearst in death, that is carried in a hearse. Have burst their cremants, cremants, cremants. I guess that's like a cremation. Why the sepulchre was wherein we saw thee quietly interred, hath oped his ponderous and marble jaws to cast thee up again. What may this mean? That thou dead course again in complete steel, revisits thus the glimpses of the moon making night hideous and we fools of nature so horridly to shake our disposition. What thoughts beyond the reaches of our souls? Say, why is this? Wherefore? What should we do? Ghost beckons Hamlet. It beckons you to go away with it as if some impartment did desire to you alone. Look with what courteous action it waves you to a more removed ground. Uh, courteous um, that's like politeness. Uh, also, it has a bit of a royal um, tone about it as in a courtier. It waves you to a more removed ground, but do not go with it. No, by no means. It will not speak. Then I will follow it. Do not, my lord. Why? What should be the fear? I do not set my life at a pin's fee. Uh, there again, Hamlet is sometimes portrayed as being suicidal. And for my soul, what can it do to that being a thing immortal as itself? It weighs me forth again. I'll follow it. What if it should tempt you toward the flood, my lord, or to the dreadful summit of the cliff that beetles over his base into the sea, uh, that is, it rears up, and there assume some other horrible form which might deprive your sovereignty of reason? Uh a little bit of a play there, sovereignty, uh, Hamlet's a prince, and uh, reason is seen as, at least it should, uh, take precedence over all of our other senses and uh, faculties and draw you into madness. Of course, we're going to see a lot of talk of madness in the play. Think of it. The very place puts toys of desperation without more motive into every brain that looks so many fathoms to the sea and hears it roar beneath. It weighs me still. Go on, I'll follow thee. You shall not go, my lord. Hold off your hands. Be ruled, you shall not go. My fate cries out and makes each petty attire in this body as hardy as the Nemean lion's nerve. I think that's a myth of some sort. Ghost beckons. Still I am called. Unhand me, gentlemen. By heaven, I'll make a ghost of him that lets me. Okay, so he threatens to kill anyone who, uh, who hinders him from going with the ghost. I say away, go on, I'll follow thee. Exent ghost and Hamlet. He waxes desperate with imagination. Let's follow, tis not feet thus to obey him. Have after, to what issue will this come? Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And this uh, remark of Marcellus, another famous line, rotten in the state of Denmark. Heaven will direct it. Well, Horatio is pretty optimistic there. Nay, let's follow him. Exunt. And let's go on to scene five now. Elsinore, the castle, another part of the fortifications. Enter ghost and hamlet. Whither wilt thou lead me? Speak, I'll go no further. Mark me, I will, 
my hour is almost come when to the sulfurous and tormenting flames must render up myself. That is, um, he's uh, he's probably in purgatory, um, but they're not even seen as sort of redemptive or anything. They're sulfurous and tormenting flames, um, almost hell-like there. Alas, poor ghost, pity me not, but lend thy serious hearing to what I shall unfold. And um, that's the second time we've heard that use of unfold, as in to reveal a mystery. Speak, I am bound to hear. So art thou to revenge when thou shalt hear. What? I am thy father's spirit, doomed for a certain term to walk the night and for the day confined to fast in fires, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. So looks like he is in purgatory there and he's got to pay, but he's paying for foul crimes. Um, now, from what we've heard of Hamlet, the old king before, uh, his son has certainly put him on a pedestal. We haven't heard anything um, that sounds like a, a foul crime. Uh, but there might be more to the old Hamlet uh, than we were led to believe. But that I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house, I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part, and each particular hair to stand an end like quills upon the fretful porcupine. Okay, we would say porcupine. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. List, list, oh list, uh, we would say listen. If thou dost ever thy dear father love, O oh God, revenge his foul and most unnatural murder. Okay, that's the second time the ghost has used the word foul, once describing himself. Now his murder, murder, murder most foul. Third time used foul, as in the best it is. But this most foul, fourth time, strange and unnatural Haste me to know it, that I, with wings as swift as meditation on the thoughts of love, may sweep to my revenge. And Hamlet, of course, does not sweep to his revenge. I find thee apt, and duller shouldst thou be than the fat weed that rots itself on Lethe's wharf. Okay, Lethe is the place of forgetfulness. Um, duller should thou be than the fat weed that rots in ease on Lethe war. That's, uh, that would be pretty forgetful. Wouldst thou not stir in this? Now, Hamlet, here, tis given out that sleeping in my orchard a serpent strung me. So the whole ear of Denmark is by a forged process of my death, rankly abused. But know, thou noble youth, the serpent that did sting thy father's life now wears his crown. Okay, so um, it's given out, it's sleeping in the orchard, and the serpent strung him. And the ear of Denmark, that is, uh, the people of Denmark, uh, is rankly abused. Okay, so keep that ear in mind with what we're about to hear. And Hamlet says, oh, my prophetic soul. I like using that, uh, that phrase whenever uh, something that I think is going to happen happens. Oh, my prophetic soul. My uncle, 
Ah, that incestuous and adulterate beast, with witchcraft of his wit, with traitorous gifts of wicked wit and gifts that have such power so to seduce. One to his shameful lust, the will of my most seeming virtuous queen. Uh, that is, Gertrude was not actually virtuous. She was just seeming virtuous. Oh, Hamlet, what a falling off was there from me, whose love was such such dignity that it went hand in hand, even with the vow I made to her in marriage, and to decline upon a wretch whose natural gifts were poor to those of mine. Okay, he's saying that uh, Claudius is not as good a person as he was. But virtue, as it never will be moved, though lewdness courted in the shape of heaven, so lust, though to a radiant angel linked, will sate itself in a celestial bed and prey on garbage. Okay, the, the image there is a rather complicated, but virtue... It would never be moved, though lewdness courted in the shape of heaven. That is, if um, if if a, virtu a virtuous person, if it was it was tempted by something in the shape of heaven, it wouldn't move. But lust, through a radiant angel linked, though to a radiant angel linked, will sate itself in a celestial bed and prey on garbage. I think he's what he's saying there is virtue might not be tempted by um, uh, something that seems to be heavenly, but almost paradoxically um, would be tempted by something that, that looks really bad, uh, like Claudius, uh, you know, with the falling off, um, and prey on garbage. Um, you might have a different idea of what exactly is going on there, and I'd be glad to listen to any other interpretations. But soft, methinks I sent the morning air. Brief let me be, sleeping within my orchard, my custom always of the afternoon. Upon my secure hour, that is, he thought he was safe, thy uncle stole, with juice of cursed hebona, or hebona, in a vial, and in the porches of my ear did pour the leprous distillment. Okay, we heard before how the uh, the ear of Denmark was poisoned with a, with a, the lie of how Hamlet the Old King died. And it actually was a poison that was poured in the Old King's ear uh, as well. Now, I've, I've sometimes wondered, though, if this is sort of a, um, an image of something that was told him um, as well. Um, you know, usually when poison, with the image of poison being poured in the ear, as someone saying something gossip are untrue in order to uh, have a have a wicked effect, but this is this is um, is called an actual poison. I'm not sure what what kind of a plant or uh, herb that help ebona h e b o n a is, but there it is. Whose effect holds such enmity with blood of man that swift as quicksilver it courses through the natural gates and alleys of the body, and with a sudden vigor it doth possess like curd like eager droppings into milk, the thin and wholesome blood. So it clotted his blood. So did it mine. And a most instant tether barked about, most Lazar-like. Okay, it's probably a reference to uh, Lazarus, not the Lazarus who came back from the dead, but um, the poor man 
who um, who begged at the poor at the the gate of the rich man. And it was all covered with sores. With vile and loathsome crust, all my smooth body. Thus was I sleeping by a brother's hand of life, of crown, of queen at once dispatched, cut off even in the blossom of my sin, unhouseled, disappointed, unannealed, no reckoning make, but sent to my account with all my imperfections on my head. Okay, there is a reference to uh, confession. And um, as, a, as a devout Christians, Shakespeare and his audience uh, believed, even though the Reformation had taken place during this time, that one needed to confess and to be forgiven. If not, you went to uh, your judgment, your reckoning with all your sins on your head. We're going to see this same concept later on when Hamlet sees Cornelius, he thinks, praying. And he is reluctant to kill him because he would go to heaven. Oh, horrible, oh, horrible, most horrible. If thou hast nature in thee, bear it not. Let not the royal bed of Denmark be a couch for luxury and damned incest. But howsoever thou pursuest this act, take not thy mind, nor let thy soul contrive against thy mother aunt. Leave her to heaven. Okay, that can be read, that last phrase can be read a couple of ways. The usual way is the way that I gave it, leave her to heaven. Uh, but it could be read, leave her to heaven, um, which emphasizes a bit the um, uh, that she will get her own judgment or leave her um, to heaven. And uh, if you're scanning this line, It'd be where you put your stress. Would you put it on leave her, putting the stress on her to heaven, or leave her to heaven? So it can change the, the meaning of the phrase uh, by where one puts the stress. And to those thorns in her bosom lodge to prick and sting her, fare thee well at once. The glowworm shows the matin, that's the morning, to be near, and gins to pale his unaffectual fire. Adieu, adieu, adieu. Okay, there was the adieus again, which we heard in Hamlet's first great soliloquy. Remember me, O oh, all you host of heaven, O earth, what else? And shall I couple hell? Fie, hold, hold my heart, and you, my sinews, grow not instant old, but bear me stiffly up. Remember thee? Ah, thou poor ghost, whilst memory holds a seat in this distracted globe. Um, okay, that could be a reference to the play, to the, the playhouse, the globe itself. Remember thee? Yea, from the table of my memory, I'll wipe away all trivial fond records, all saws of books, all forms, all pressures past, that youth and observation copied there. And thy commandment all alone shall live within the book and volume of my brain. Unmixed with baser matter, yes, by heaven, O oh, most pernicious woman, O oh, villain, villain, smiling, damned villain, my tables, that's uh, uh, your school tables, what you write down. Meet it is, I set it down, that one may smile and smile and smile and be a villain. At least I am sure it may be so in Denmark. 
and the uh, the play direction says rights. So, Uncle, there you are. Now to my word, it is adieu, adieu, remember me, I have sworn it. My Lord, my Lord, enter Horatio and Marcellus. Lord Hamlet, heaven secure him. So be it. Hello, ho, 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 my Lord, ho, 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 boy, come, bird, come. Okay, Hamlet now starts to act mad, and you can wonder, did this really affect his brain? Was he just pretending to be mad? Or was he really insane after seeing his father's ghost? How is it, my noble lord? What news, my lord? Oh, wonderful. Good, my lord, tell it. No, you will reveal it. Not I, my lord, by heaven, nor I, my lord. How say you then? Would heart of man once think it? But you'll be secret. I, by heaven, my lord. There's near a villain dwelling in all Denmark, but he's an errant knave. There needs no ghost, my lord, come from the grave to tell us this. Why, right, you are in the right, and so, without more circumstance at all, I hold it fit. We shake hands and part. You, as your business and your desire, shall point you. For every man hath business and desire, such as it is. And for my own part, look you, I'll go pray. These are but wild and whirling words, my lord. I am sorry they offend you heartily. Yes, faith, heartily. There's no offense, my lord. Yes, by St. Patrick, but there is Horatio, and much offense, too, touching this vision here. It is an honest ghost. That, let me tell you, as for your desire to know what is between us, or master it as you may. Hamlet's not going to tell him. And now, good friends, as you are friends, scholars, and soldiers, give me one request. What is it, my lord? We will. Never make known what you have seen tonight. My lord, we will not. Nay, but swear it. In faith, my lord, not I, nor I, my lord, in faith, upon my sword. We have sworn, my lord, already. Indeed, upon my sword, indeed, ghost cries under the stage. Swear. Ah, boy, sayest thou so? Art thou there, Trippini? Come on. You hear this fellow in the cellarage, uh, that's in the basement below, consent to swear. Propose the oath, my lord. Never to speak of this that you have seen. Swear by my sword. Swear. Uh, I've seen this played where Hamlet's sword is actually uh, the hilt, what he holds it by, is actually a crucifix. So his friends swear on the crucifix that uh, that is his sword handle. Hike ubiqui, that's uh, here and there, or here and where. Uh, then we'll shift our ground. Come hither, gentlemen, and lay your hands again upon my sword, never to speak of this that you have heard. Swear by my sword. Swear by his sword. Well, sell, old mole. Uh, that is, his father's ghost is in the ground. Canst work in the earth so fast? A worthy pioneer. Once more remove, good friends. Oh, day and night, but this is wondrous strange. Therefore, as a stranger, give it welcome. That's a nice little phrase. As a stranger, give it welcome. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Another famous line. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And that phrase has launched, I don't know how many graduate dissertations on what is Horatio's philosophy. I tend towards Stoicism myself. But come, here is before, never so help your mercy, how strange or odd soever I bear myself. Um, so this is the foreshadowing that he's going he's gonna to pretend to be mad. Or is it a pretense? As I, perchance, hell after shall think meet 
to put on an antic to put an antic disposition on that is to pretend to be mad that you at such time seeing me never shall with arms encumbered or thus head shake or pronouncing of some doubtful phrase such as well well we know or we could as if we would or if we list to speak there be and if they might or such ambiguous giving out to note that you know aught of me um this not to do so grace and mercy at your most need help you swear swear okay so there he's saying there's lots of ways to lie in essence and to break your oath i just sort of hinting at things um Shakespeare was a very shrewd observer of truth, and uh, and this theme of truth is very important to the play. Rest, rest, perturbed spirit. So, gentlemen, with all my love, I do commend me to you, and what so poor a man as Hamlet is may do to express his love and friend, friendling to you, friending to you, God willing, shall not lack. Let us go in together, and still your fingers on your lips, I pray, the time is out of joint, another famous, famous phrase. Oh, cursed spite that ever I was born to set it right. Now come, let us go together. And that is the end of the first act. And next time we'll pick up again back with Polonius, who's always fun to mock. Till then, adieu.